Let's take our Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 4. Luke chapter 4, we're going to pick up in verse 14. If you're using that pew Bible there, it's on page 1183. And I saw, because I'm the one who put it in there, the uh, scripture in the call to action is Luke chapter 4, verses 14 through 30. And then started studying God's word and realized that there was so much in verses 14 through 30 that we were either going to have to bring lunch in or we were just going to have to split it up. And so I'm actually only going to do Luke chapter 4, verses 14 and 15. You're going, Jeff, you didn't get very far before you became overcome. You're right. God's word, I just want to tell you, God's word is rich and deep. And I pray that you spend time in it each day. Uh, but we're going to read those two verses, and you're going, next week, what are we going to do? I would encourage you to read the same passage, Luke chapter 4, verses 14 to 30. But in just a minute, we'll stand and read just two verses this morning. I grew up attending Clark Street Baptist Church in Johnson City, Tennessee. I recall many years ago when our church would have what we called Youth Sunday, and I'm sure that they did things like this, not just in this church and my church been in many churches. On this Sunday, the youth oversaw everything. They would teach the Sunday school classes. They would pass out the bulletins. They would take up the offering. They would lead the music, and then they would preach the sermon. When I was 13 or 14 years old, I was the youth pastor for that day. I didn't know what the Lord had planned all these years later, but uh, he did, and I was to bring the sermon. I know that in that time, at that age, I talked with my pastor about how to do this, and he even let me use some of his resources and come in his office, and um, it was not easy, and I was really nervous, and I do not even recall what I said, and I likely did not do a very good job on that Sunday, likely did a very poor job, and some of you thought, well, not much has changed in all these years. From the feedback I received on that Sunday morning, 45 years ago or so, you would have thought that I could have given Billy Graham a run for his money. Everyone was so supportive, encouraging, and thoughtful. And even at that age, I understood why. I knew why. Because I belonged to that church. I was a part of that family. And had I not been a youth in that church that had grown up in that church since birth, I do not believe I would have been received as well, and I certainly would not have been invited back. But they, that church family, they kept me as part of the family. And I attended there until I graduated college and moved away. I recall many precious people from that church and how they helped build me into the person I became. And it's that backdrop that I want us to stand today. And let's stand together. We're going to read from Luke chapter 4. We're going to read two verses only, verses 14 and 15. Luke 4, picking up in verse 14, says, Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, and news of him went out through all the surrounding region. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. That's it. Have a seat, keep your Bibles open, get your notes ready to take, because I believe that the Lord has a lot right there in those verses. And so 
You pick up in verse 14, it starts with the word then. Now, the word then is a transitional word, and it would be normal to believe that what then happens, what happens after then happens just after what had just happened prior. Do you guys know what I just said? Then means after what has just happened. And we've been preaching through, and will for a while preach through the book of Luke. And prior to that, a couple of weeks ago, we spoke about what had just happened. And in verse 13, it said, And when the devil had ended every temptation, he departed from him, Jesus, until an opportune time. Remember, we talked about Jesus and the temptation that he went through. And so you would go, well, in verse 14, then after the temptation of Jesus. And that is partially correct, but it's not fully correct. Because after Jesus was tempted by Satan in 40 days is something that happened. But chronologically speaking, between Luke chapter 4, verse 13, and Luke chapter 4, verse 14, all the events that you find in John chapter 1, picking up in verse 19, through all the way at least until the end of chapter 4. Some go even until the end of chapter 5 of John have occurred. So let me just tell you things that have occurred in the then moment. Jesus has called his disciples. Jesus completes his first miracle at the wedding in Cana. Jesus has cleared the temple from being a den of thieves. Jesus has alluded to his resurrection when asked about it. He said, destroy this temple in three days, I will raise it up. Jesus has had his conversation with Nicodemus in John chapter 3. And Jesus has met with the woman at the well. If you remember, he must go through Samaria, and he had an appointment. And at that opportunity where he talked with the woman at the well, we read on and we see where many people came to believe. Some believe that all of these activities that happened between Luke chapter 4 verse 13 and Luke chapter 4, verse 14, may have taken up to a year. We may actually have gone one year into the ministry of Jesus. Because if you look at just Luke, if you remember, Jesus was baptized, Jesus went into the temptation for 40 days, and then we pick up in verse 14. And then none of these things happened. They happened in between. But what I'd like to do is let me just share with you a summary statement from John chapter 4. You don't have to turn there, but write this down. John chapter 4, picking up in verse 43 through 45, says this. Now, after the two days he, de after the two days he departed from there and went to Galilee. That's two days after leaving the city in Samaria. Remember, they, the woman at the well, she ran into town. She brought the people back, and they said, oh, Jesus, you just need to stay with us. And he said, that's what we're picking up here. For Jesus himself testified that a prophet has no honor in his own country. So when he came to Galilee, the Galileans received him, having seen all the things he did in Jerusalem at the feast, for they also had gone to the feast. So Jesus alluded to in John chapter 4 that a prophet has no honor in his own country. We know Jesus is from Nazareth of Galilee. Uh, when he came to Galilee, they received him. Not in Nazareth, we'll talk about next week. And they believed having seen and heard, is what it said. So that then, in Luke chapter 4, verse 14, covers a lot of activity. But it says in this chapter, Then Jesus returned in the power of the Holy Spirit to Galilee. 
Now, I want to break that down for just a second, because I just went really slow as I studied God's Word, and I would encourage you to do the same thing. Jesus in the power of the Holy Spirit. Now, we need to remember, Jesus had been tempted for 40 days. He had known and trusted and obeyed the Word of God as part of his um, resisting the temptation. And he had followed the Holy Spirit's guidance. And as we've read, and as you can go back and look through John chapter 1 through John chapter 4 or 5, Jesus had done many things, and therefore God had done many things. But it says that Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit. Now, I know as that youth pastor those years ago, and I know even today that I am not Billy Graham, not then or now, but church, let me tell you how God spoke to me through this and maybe how he wants to encourage you right now is if I seek God first, if I turn to him in times of temptation, if I stay faithful and obedient and learning the word of God, and if I allow the Holy Spirit to guide me, I also can live a life of power through the Holy Spirit of God. Okay, we, you guys are a little slow right there, but that's okay. But do you guys believe that's true? Do you believe that, Jeff, if I do these things, seek God first, be in his word, allow the Holy Spirit to lead and guide me and turn everything up, do you believe that I can live a life powerfully in the Holy Spirit before God and man? You believe that? Which means that you likely also believe that that's true for you as well. Amen? You can too, church. And it's an interesting thing. You can live a life of power in the Spirit. And here's the question is, is do you really, do you believe that? Church, do you? This is a, not rhetorical. Do you believe that you can live a life of power in the Holy Spirit as a child of God? That's good. Now, I want to share with you another scripture you want to write down in your notes. John chapter 14. I'm going to read verses 12 to 17. These are red letters in my Bible, which we all know means Jesus said. This is, this is Jesus' words. John chapter 14, picking up in verse 12, it says, Most assuredly, I say to you that he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and greater works than these he will do because I go to my Father. And whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. If you love me, keep my commandments, and I will pray the Father... And he will give you another helper, that he, the helper, may abide with you forever. The spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he dwells within you and will be in you. Jesus, Scripture just simply says that Jesus came to Galilee in the power of the Holy Spirit. And you're going, well, yeah, but he's the Son of God. That's no fair. You can't say that that I can do what Jesus did. You're right, I can't. But God's word just did. Jesus himself said that if you come to know me by faith and trust me and live for me, if you are in my word, if you allow the Holy Spirit that's in you to lead and guide you, you can do things greater than even I 
because of, not because you're special, but because the Holy Spirit inside of you is the full portion of God and the Holy Spirit. Amen? And so we we can't do this. The Holy Spirit will abide with you. And so many times, we as Christians sometimes say, I can't have, I can't teach like they can, or I can't do this, or I can't do that. And Satan will jump in there and he'll say, you're right, you can't. But he's trying to defeat you. And Jesus would say, if you know me, if you seek me most, if you let the Spirit of God lead you, if you know my word and trust my word and obey my word, you can live a powerful life. Church, I just want to encourage you. God wants you to live a powerful life for and through him. Amen? That doesn't mean we get what we want. That scripture that Jesus just said there in John chapter 14, that's not a name it, claim it. That's not a uh, prosperity type gospel. That is a, if you read that really clear, is if you know me, know me, my word, and allow the spirit, then I'm going to do things in your life that you can't imagine. I don't know about you, but when Jesus says that I should have something and I don't yet have it, I don't think he's the one who's let me down. It might be me having let him down. If I don't see this powerful life lived before God, it's not because I can't have it because he said I could. It's because I'm probably not seeking him first. I may not be spending time in his word. I may not be trusting him. I may not be making choices that honor him. Church, do you want to see God work powerfully in and through your life? I read this and I'm going, I want that. So then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit to Galilee, which is home country, not hometown. Verse 14, and news of him spread through all the surrounding region. Now catch this, church. The message of Jesus, the works of Jesus, the power of Jesus spread. Now do you know how news spreads? You do. Now it used to spread years and years and years ago through a newspaper. It don't spread much through a newspaper anymore. News spreads through people. Always has. Always will. Think of news that you've had in your life that was good. You ran to people to tell them. Think of news in your life that was bad. You ran to people to tell them. We share the news. And so it says that Jesus coming into Galilee, having been gone for a period of time, comes in and is working in the power of the Holy Spirit, and people are seeing and hearing. Jesus is coming into town having heard. These people have heard. Jesus has not been there. He's just getting there, and they've heard. News has spread. That means that people have experienced Jesus, and they've been talking about Jesus. What these people were hearing Seeing and experiencing what they were being taught from the word caused them such great benefit that they shared it with everyone around them. 
Church, do you share good news when it happens in your life? No. Okay. I guess we'll just have the invitation and be done, because if, if we don't share good news, then we're... So let me ask a better question, since it's Sunday morning and we're in church. My question is, no longer, I'm taking that one off the table, because you don't share good news when it happens to you. So let me change the question just a little bit. Church, do you share the good news? You know, I don't know if I believe that or not. For, let me just give you a, 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 just a reason check for just a second. I ask you the first question, do you share good news in your life? And everybody goes, and then I ask you, do you share the good news, the good news about Jesus, the gospel? And we're in church, and everybody goes, oh, yeah. Well, here's what's going to happen. If you're not a sharer of the good things in your life, you will not be a sharer of the good news of Jesus Christ. And church, I want you to hear this. If we are going to live the life powerfully that God desires for us to live, that the Holy Spirit can enable us to live, that Jesus says we can have. And you remember a few weeks ago, I stood right here, and I said, God's probably going to call you to do something in 2024. Anybody remember this? Thank you. And it's probably going to be gospel-related. Here it is. Sharing the good news, the gospel of what Jesus has done. Go on to verse 15. And he, that's Jesus, taught in their synagogues. Do you know Jesus took every opportunity he was given to teach? Walking along the road, in a boat, in the synagogue, in the streets, you name it, Jesus took every opportunity he had to be able to teach. And can you imagine here in verse 15, Jesus said that taught in their synagogues. Now, can you imagine being taught by Jesus? I mean, come on. Even Billy Graham's got to take a back seat, right? But in the first century synagogue, the typical synagogue service began with an invocation for God's blessing, and then a recitation of traditional Hebrew scriptures or confessions of faith called the Shema, Deuteronomy chapter 6, verses 4 through 9, Deuteronomy chapter 11, verses 13 through 21. This was then followed by prayer, and then the prescribed readings from the law and from the prophets, with the reader paraphrasing the Hebrew scriptures in Aramaic. Then that would be followed by a brief sermon by one of the men of the congregation, or by a visiting rabbi. And at the end, they prayed once again and were dismissed. That's the typical order of service for a synagogue service. Verse 15 says, and he taught. Can you see it? Whatever was planned for the service immediately changed when Jesus walked into the synagogue. Whatever the leader, the rabbi had when Jesus walked in, he said, Jesus, would you please? He was being recognized as one who was working and living powerfully in the Holy Spirit. They would have Jesus speak. And Jesus faithfully taught the Word of God wherever he went. And he intentionally went to the synagogue whenever he could. Now, we're going to read a little bit more next week about how it was the practice of Jesus to be in the synagogue. 
I hope that it's your practice and that next week when we are together in church, you will be here again, that that is your practice as we talk more about this scripture. And the people, can you imagine Jesus teaching and the power he had, and the people, to their credit, they gave him opportunity to speak into their lives. Every time he went into a synagogue, they would go, Jesus, would you teach us? Would you teach us? They gave him opportunity. That's a really smart thing. Which leads to a question from my life and to yours. Do you give God the opportunity to speak into your life? Through his word and through the movement of his spirit, do you seek and look for him, and when he says, I'm ready to speak to you, do you allow him that opportunity to have input and impact in your life? So verse 15, let's get it going. And he taught in their synagogues, being glorified by all. And I want to stop here for just a moment. Actually, we're going to stop here for just a few moments because this is where I was stopped by the Lord because I had all this written and I was planning on going to verse 30. And the Lord said, do you not go fast through this? This statement right here, being glorified by all. Now, for I know I'm redundant, but Jesus, led by the Spirit of God, teaching the Word of God, doing the works of God, being led and being faithful to what God had sent him and called him to do, took the opportunity to teach. And as he taught these people, they, Scripture says, verse 15, being glorified by all. This means that the people were positively impacted by Jesus' teaching. Jesus, the Son of God, led by the Holy Spirit, read from God's Word and taught, and the result Scripture says right here, God was glorified. You know, church, that should be true every time we gather. Every time we spend time in God's word, God should be glorified. Do we agree? Yes, God has a purpose for us. Church, that should be true every time we gather. Because that's our purpose. Our purpose is to bring glory to God. It's my prayer that God will be glorified in your life every single time we gather. Sunday school, coffee connection, worship service, choir practice, Wednesday night, children, youth, adults, Bible studies, prayer meeting. Every time we are together, God should be Glorified. That's our purpose. We are called, Scripture says, to give God glory. Isaiah chapter 43, verse 7 says that God created us for his glory. Isaiah 43, 7, if you want to write that down. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 31 says that we should seek to glorify God in everything we do. That means in this time that we are together right now, your Singular purpose should be to glorify God in all that we do. To glorify God is simply to recognize and acknowledge His glory. Glorify means to give weight to. Or another definition to glorify is to honor. 
To glorify God is to recognize God for who he really is and to respond appropriately. It means that we live our life in a way to honor the Lord in every single way. And so it's an interesting thing. Jesus came to Galilee in the power of the Spirit, taught the Word of God, allowed the Word to be the authority, taught the people every time he had an opportunity. People saw him doing great things, and they glorified God. That's awesome. And this is where the Lord took me on a little bit of a Bible study. That's where we're going to go for just a few minutes. I want to take a moment to share with you 10 ways, and you're going, Jeff, that little old box you gave me on the back of the worship register that I'm going to have to turn in is not enough for me to take these 10 notes. Well, hopefully you've got a notebook with you, or you can put it in your phone notes, or if you have to, grab one of those pink envelopes, not the one you've put your tithe in, and write notes on the back. But I want you to capture these 10 ways, not the only 10 ways, but 10 ways that the Lord laid on my heart how we are to glorify him. Number one, we can glorify God when we praise him with our lips. Psalm 63.3 says, my lips will glorify you. The best way to use our tongues is to give praise to God. Now, we could go off here for just a second and talk about how a freshwater spring cannot give off salt water and vice versa and things like that. We could talk about, and it's interesting, if we will spend our time with our lips bringing praise and honor and glory unto God, I bet it has an impact on our lives. Everything we say will be just a little bit sweeter. So not just praise God with our lips. Another way to glorify God is to simply obey his word. Malachi chapter 2, verse 2 says this, If you will not hear, and if you will not take it to heart, to give glory to my name, says the Lord of hosts, I will curse your blessings because you do not take it to heart. That's a pretty strong statement for God. You're going, yeah, that's Old Testament. No, that's God. One consistent story all the way through, and he says, if you don't take to heart who I am, what I've given you, and how you are to live, he says he'll curse our blessings, which means that he has blessings ready for us as we do these things, and those blessings will be impacted when we do not obey his word. God gives us his word so that we can know him. And we are to take it to heart. Or another way of saying that simply is do what he says. Number three, we can bring glory to God when we pray in Jesus' name. John 14, 13, we read it already once today. Whatever you ask in my name, I will do it so that the Father may be glorified in the Son. When we come to God through the Son, we bring glory to God, which is us fulfilling our purpose. We must align our prayers with God's will and with God's purposes. Number four, producing spiritual fruit brings glory to God. John 15, 8. My Father is glorified by this, that you produce much fruit and prove to be my disciples. Now, isn't it interesting when you read that and you go back and you, you write this down, and you go study it later in the week. It's not that you glorify God when you produce fruit. 
There's an assumption that when you come to know Jesus as your Savior and the Spirit of God indwells your life and the Word of God is the authority in your life, that you're going to produce fruit. What brings glory to God is when you produce much fruit. There's an expectation here that we are to be actively about cultivating fruit for God in our lives. Fruit is the outpouring of praise and obedience. It's our life in action for God. Number four, I mean, number five, we bring glory to God when we remain pure. Scripture says, flee sexual immorality. Glorify God with your body. We glorify God when we seek to live pure lives and make the changes necessary to be pure in heart and in deed. Are you seeking to live a pure life? I had to stop in my office, and I routinely have to stop regularly. You see, I probably, like you, battle with all of these things. But this one hit me. Am I allowing things in my life that aren't pure? Regardless of the reason, it's never the right thing. Never. No justification can make it worth it. Number six, we glorify God when we seek the good of others. We are told to love our neighbor as ourselves. 1 Corinthians 10, 24 says, no one is to seek his own good, but the good of the other person. So Jeff, I'm not to seek my own good. Scripture says that you will thrive when you seek God first and other second, you will be fine. What is that the, is that an acronym when letters mean something? Joy, Jesus, others, then yourself. Anybody ever heard that before, right? Yeah, some of you have. Jesus, others, and yourself brings you joy. Not only does it bring you joy, but it brings glory to God. Number seven, it brings glory to God when we give generously. 2 Corinthians chapter 9, verse 13. While through the proof of this ministry, Paul writes, they glorify God for the obedience of your confession to the gospel of Christ and for your liberal sharing with them and all men. Do you know that God calls us to give? And that giving, that obedient giving, is for his glory, Scripture says. And so when you faithfully tithe and you give your 10% and maybe above and to other things, God is glorified. And when we don't, he is not. But we can glorify God by being generous givers. Now, of course, this would happen to be the week. You notice I had four baby bottles. Man, I thought I was going to be giving. I was going to fill it all up. And the first one, I picked out all the quarters. But there were too many quarters in my little bowl. I, could, I had to fill it. I got to the end of one bottle, and I'm going, that's a good gift. God said, yeah, but that's not all of it. That's why I got four, because it took four to hold that bowl, because God said, give generously, because life is worth giving generously for. And so the, I even threw the bowl away. Sorry, Angela. <laughs> it had had money sitting in it for months. It was dirty. We'll get another one. 
give generously. Number eight, we glorify God when we live honorably among unbelievers. Do you know that there is a good chance that someone around you in your house, on your street, in your workplace, in your friend group, or people that you might sit beside at lunch today in the same restaurant? You know, there's a good chance there are probably some unbelievers around you. We glorify God. 1 Peter chapter 2, verse 12 says, Conduct yourselves honorably among the Gentiles, so that when they slander you as evildoers, they will observe your good works and will glorify God on the day he visits. The way you live before unbelievers has an impact, God says, on those unbelievers. Matthew chapter 5, verse 16. Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, Let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Church, it matters how you live. Number nine, we glorify God when we are faithful when persecuted. Now, I understand we don't understand persecution near like people do all over the world, and maybe it's because we're not living in a way that glorifies God. We should be. Jesus said, they persecuted me. They'll persecute you. Church, we need to be in situations where we are persecuted because it means that we're faithfully living as Jesus has called us to do. But while we find ourselves, 1 Peter 4.16 says, But if anyone suffers as a Christian, let him not be ashamed, but let him glorify God in having that name. Church, you need to live proud and open about being a follower of Jesus Christ. So many times, we were out yesterday, out and about. I was not alone. I was with other gentlemen. And two of us had a conversation because there was such language and such hostility coming from a group of people that we were not in, but we were near. And I kept saying, okay, if it happens one more time, I'm going to have to walk into that. Church, we need to get out of the if it happens one more time business. Maybe we need to get busy seeking to be helpful and to be faithful, even if it were to bring some challenge into our life. And the 10th way that I'm just sharing with you today how we can glorify God is it says that we glorify God when we face death with fear. You see, Jesus predicted that Peter would die as a martyr, and Scripture says, would glorify God in his death. Paul had hoped that Christ would be glorified in his death. That's Philippians 1.20. Philippians 1.21 says, we can glorify God in this stage of our life because we know that to live is Christ and to die is gain. So go back to our verses today. Then Jesus returned in the power of the Spirit, and the news of him went out through all the surrounding region. People shared it. And he taught them being glorified by all. 
Since God has defined how he is glorified, then you have to recognize that perhaps what happened when Jesus worked in the spirit of the Father, teaching the word and leaning and doing all the things that he did, that people actually began to do things, biblically speaking, that would bring glory and honor to God. Just a few questions before we leave. Do you allow Jesus to speak into your life? Do you allow God's word to be the authority in your life? Do you glorify God in your life? You see, God has a purpose. And that's why he sent his son. That's why he gave us his word, that we might know him, that we might be redeemed and saved, that we might then be witnesses that live our lives to bring glory and honor unto God. I mentioned to you that at the end of this month, we have a mission opportunity. You know, a mission opportunity at its very core is obediently following the leadership of the Spirit of God and the Word of God in what you do. On being on mission. We're doing what Jesus said we are to do. Pray for that. But don't wait for that day. You're going, oh, Jeff, tell us, tell us, tell us. Don't worry about that. What I would encourage you to do between now and three weeks from today is not only pray for this, but see and answer these questions to make sure that God is glorified in your life. Because see, if God becomes glorified in the life of every individual that calls First Baptist home, then I have this strong belief that God will be glorified in the choices that those individuals who come together in the church do for his honor and his glory. Amen? But today, do you glorify God? Do you glorify God by your life? I couldn't get past it. Two verses. If you quickly read it, you go, there's nothing there. But when you let the Spirit of God lead and guide you, the burden that it brings on our lives to yield to Christ is great. And I pray that's what we do today. Church, I'm going to ask you to stand with me. And as we sing and as we take this time of invitation and as this altar is open and as I am right here, I encourage you, are you glorifying God in your life? Are there changes? Are there adjustments? Are there things that God desires to do in your life? And would you let him have his way in doing those things? Let's pray.